What's good, y'all? Oh, no, 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 that felt really weird. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 48 of In the Deep, where we are a man down this week due to some technical difficulties from Jordan. And really, when I say technical difficulties, I'm simply covering for Jordan because what really happened was I kept on quoting Jeff McNeil's stat line at him until he got upset and podcast dumped me. I'm sure I'll win him back before next week, but for now, this week, I will be diving all by my lonesome. If I do a poor job, please let me hear about it because hate fuels me, and if I do a good job, also let me know so that I can ask Nick for a raise. As always, you can reach out to us at our mailbox, inthedeeppl at gmail.com, or at any of our Twitter accounts. Our shared account, at inthedeeppl, Jordan's account, Bunt Singles, or my own account, at Schwebzy. So this week, it's going to be a little different than normal, since I am solo. Normally we talk about four players in depth. This week, it's only going to be two. I'll still go through some honorable mentions at the end and uh, try to try to cover a, a good spread of players. But uh, just because we don't have Jordan here this week, it's not going to be as deep of a dive as normal on as many players as normal. So the first player that I'm going to talk about this week is Paven Smith. You remember that time last week when I said something about how what was going on in Arizona was kind of weird, where like the entire team was underperforming their batted ball data? Well, since I said those words, the Diamondbacks are sixth in all of baseball in Team Woba, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think their offense might be kind of underrated. Like, it's really solid through like seven spots when they're healthy. And I, I think they could actually, like, as a lineup, like, produce some nice counting stats, especially in that ballpark, you know, uh, assuming that the Humidor doesn't completely tank their offense. Well, the, uh, no, actually, now that I think about it, they're one of the teams that already had the Humidor, so it really, I, I think it should be a fine lineup. But one of the main drivers of this past week's team success is Paven Smith, who over the past two weeks is hitting 308 with a 372 OBP. He's got three dingers and a steal, along with 10 RBI and four runs, which is a solid week. A solid two weeks, sorry. The the runs definitely leave something to be desired, but there might be a silver lining there, as lately, Pavin has hit out of the one or two spot in the lineup into five of his last seven starts, and he's only rode the bench once in that time frame, time frame playing seven out of eight games. Uh, Smith is a lefty with a bit of a career platoon split, but he's not a complete train wreck versus lefties. At least prior to this year, he wasn't. And this year, he's absolutely smoking lefties. It's a very limited sample size, only like 25 plate appearances, but I think we can pretty safely project a good amount of playing time going forward for him. <laughs> I mean, the, the the one thing that I could see stopping that is if Cooper Hummel starts popping off and starts producing like his batted ball data says he can. But I think Pavin's pretty safe right now. Last year, Pavin Smith was more fine than good. Like there really wasn't much power to speak of, though the the uh, contact was pretty good. So are we seeing anything this year that would hint at like a bigger or better 2022 in spite of the beanbags masquerading as baseballs that pitchers are throwing this year. In short, yes. The main reason that I'm so excited about Paven Smith is his barrels and his batted ball distribution. If you were to pull up the chart this year of 
all the players in baseball and their barrels per plate appearance. So the, the default barrel view on Baseball Savant is barrels per batted ball event, which is inherently worse than barrels per plate appearance because it doesn't really take into account swings and misses. So we want plate appearance because it counts everything. Now, the leaders for bar- barrels per plate appearance are some of the usual suspects. You've got Aaron Judge, you've got Mike Trout at one and two, followed by Byron Buxton, Luis Robert, Rowdy Tellez at number five, which is awesome. And then you pass some names like Mitch Hanniger, Jordan Alvarez, Giancarlo Stanton, Joey Gallo. And then down at number 13 is Paven Smith, who is surprisingly absolutely smoking the ball and at really nice launch angles. That's the key here. It's the launch angles. If you look at Paven Smith's 2021 compared to his 2022, it's like looking at two different players. This is like textbook power breakout stuff as we're seeing a drop in zone contact, huge gains in exit velo, pull percentage, average launch angle, and fly ball percentage are all up. Without seeing the numbers, I'd have expected a raise in strikeout percentage and a drop in walk percentage. And we are seeing that strikeout percentage increase, but he's actually walking more too, which is awesome. The results of all these changes to his profile have been huge. He's nearly quadrupled his barrel rate from last year, all the way up to 18.9%. And this is per batted ball. And that's, like I said before, that's Luis Robert and Mitch Hanniger territory. That's really, really great power hitting numbers. I think he's been a victim of some tough luck and maybe the deadened ball this year because you can make a highlight reel of all the times he's crushed the ball to dead center and a center field caught it and then immediately smashed into the wall. Of the players with at least 10 barrels this year, he has the fewest home runs in the league, tied with Freddie Freeman. I think that this is an under-the-radar power breakout that could absolutely be legit. I don't think he has, like, Joey Gallo power. He just doesn't have that, like, top-line max exit velo. But this could wind up being, like, a 25-home run bat. So that is the hitter that I wanted to talk about today. Let's move on to a pitcher that I wanted to talk about in Nick Lodolo. The Cincinnati pitcher that I think people were most excited about this year was Hunter Green and his absolutely nuclear fastball. But I think Lodolo could wind up being the real jewel of this wave of young pitchers in Cincinnati. His approach is more boring, but arguably much more effective. Uh, With Green, we have a wipeout slider and elite velo, but it's really hittable velo, where with Lodolo, we've got a three-pitch mix of 60% sinkers and then an even split of curves and change-ups. And with that mix, you're hoping for a combo of ground balls and whiffs, and that is exactly what you get here. What if I told you that I had a lefty that struck out 11.74 batters per nine, walked .78 batters per nine, and got ground balls 48% of the time? Well, that's Clayton Kershaw, but Lodolo has performed a pretty decent Kershaw imitation in his small sample size so far, at least if you look under the surface, putting up roughly the same strikeout and ground ball numbers 
with some extra walks sprinkled in. The only pitchers in baseball with a better strikeout and ground ball rate than Lodolo so far are Kershaw, Garrett Whitlock, and Shane McClanahan, which is really awesome company. Lodolo's sinker and curveball are his bread and butter right now, with the changeup kind of having potential but lagging behind at this point in time. The sinker is is a sinker. It's a pretty good one, but still just a sinker. Uh, it allows some hard contact. Uh, generally, his is generally located well, with his heat map kind of looking like a cross, locating along all four edges. The curve, though, this is a good, good, good looking pitch. It's a borderline money pitch that gets a strike 67% of the time, and overall has a 37.3% CSW compared to the 31.6% MLB average. To give a shout out to my sadly microphoneless co-host, let's talk about Lodolo's weighted earned strike rate. WES is a metric that Jordan has been working on, and he's mentioned on the podcast before, and it weighs called strikes and whiffs differently depending on the count that they were earned in. For example, CSW in 3 and 0 counts in 2021 was a whopping 57.3%, where in 0 and 2 counts, it was just 19%. So if a strike is harder to earn, it should be worth more. Makes sense, right? So using this work in progress, Lodolo's early returns have seen him put up a weighted earned strike rate of 30.31%. And I know you don't have context for that. That puts him at 22nd among pitchers with at least three starts this year. That is very, very promising. Since I decided that I was going to talk about Lodolo, uh, his outlook has gotten a bit worse since he was due to pitch against the Pirates this weekend, but like a third of the league got rained out today, today being Friday, so uh, it looks like he'll be pitching Tuesday at home against the Brewers now. It's never good when pitchers are pitching in Cincinnati thanks to the Great American Small Park, and suddenly the Brewers are looking like a really, really scary offense after what they've been doing for the last week or so and after the absolute rampage that Rowdy Tellez and Willie Adamas have gone on but I'm I'm trying to think I I think I so I have Lodolo in a couple of leagues and at the moment he's sitting in either my minors or my bench I'm probably going to leave him there for this start just to see what he does and depending on what he does here, I'm going to either make the decision to run him out for the next start or just kind of keep him lurking on the bench. The point here is I want him on my team because I think there's potential here for a quality top 50 starter for the rest of the year. So I want him on my team now for when that talent starts shining through. So it might be a pick up and hold. I don't think I have the confidence in him to start him now. He's, since he's given up a couple of dingers, and Milwaukee has been really good at hitting dingers lately. And also, you know, Lodolo is fresh off the IL. So I'm not totally confident in starting him for this next start, but I think he's absolutely worth a stash right now. All right, let's take a moment for an ad break. 
Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PO Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, and we are back. So I've got a couple of sections here of various guys that I want to talk about, at least briefly. The first section is, why haven't you already picked these players up? So when I was putting together this list of players a couple of days ago, Rowdy Tellez was under 20% rostered. And now he's at 30%. So we're actually now, actually, we're, we're having a graduation ceremony for Rowdy. Uh, congratulations, Rowdy Tellez. You finally cracked the 20% mark. And now uh, here at In the Deep, we don't care about you anymore. You're dead to us. But congratulations. Uh, Nico Horner hit his second home run of the year on Thursday, making an absolute joke of my my frequent hypothetical question where I ask if Nico Horner in a full season would put up more war or home runs and he's making a mockery of that by hitting two home runs already. So Jordan is still hugely on the uh, Nico Horner train. I'm still a big fan. We still think that he will eventually wind up at the top of the Cubs batting order. And things are trending in that direction. In the last three games, he has hit 7th, 7th, and 6th after mostly hitting 8th and ninth for the year. So... We're big on Nico here. We think eventually he'll work his way into a better lineup spot and be a really good source of batting average, runs scored, and hopefully stolen bases. The home runs are just a bonus. Dan Vogelbach uh, continues to do the things that he's good at, which are mainly uh, be barrel-shaped and hit baseballs hard. And now he gets to do those things from prime lineup spots, hitting either first or fourth in every game for weeks now for Pittsburgh. I think... In leagues with corner infielders, like Vogelbach should probably be rostered in, in most of them. Like if he's hitting cleanup or first, that mean that's a really good spot for counting stats. Because the top of Pittsburgh's lineup is not terrible, except when they decide to put Ben Gamel up there, and then it you know, <laughs> I think the ceiling gets lowered quite a bit with Gamel in there. But, you know, with Reynolds, Hayes, and and Vogelbach, there there's a chance to put up some counting stats at the top of that lineup. And hope you know. Hopefully, Yoshi Satsugo comes around. Although I am currently, uh, I, I'm personally mad at Yoshi Satsugo right now for not living up to his expectations, my expectations for him early in the season. Hoping that he turns it around a bit. Uh, a, another one in the "Why haven't you picked this guy up yet?" category is Jorge Mateo, who is at seventeen percent. <laughs> I have a uh, I have a group chat going with both Jordan. And friend of the podcast, Yancey Eaton, where every time Jorge Mateo does anything, I fire off the the gif of the basketball coach screaming to the heavens in some kind of competition-fueled trance. 
And I have had to send that gift like a lot already this season because Mateo has seven stolen bases already and he just hit his first dinger of the year. I think I feel like he needs to be rostered in almost literally any roto league if he's going to steal I don't know what is he on pace for like 40 bags if he's going to steal 30 plus he should probably be rostered almost everywhere. So I don't understand how he's still so available. Uh Josh Naylor I I feel like without Jordan here this is my chance to make the I barely know her joke in regards to uh Naylor's last name but I'm not trying to get in the deep canceled the one time that I fly solo. Uh, Naylor is not walking at all, but he is nailing baseballs regularly and stays hitting in prime lineup spots. He's kind of, he's basically like the AL version of uh, Vogelbach. He's a big beefy boy. He gets to hit in the middle of the lineup and he puts the bat on the ball. Uh, he doesn't elevate like Vogelbach can, but we're, you know, we remain hopeful that Naylor will, uh, you know, one day decide that fly balls are good and start hitting some dingers. He has the strength to uh, to overcome the beanbag baseball that we're dealing with right now. Uh, some honorable mentions now. Now, these are guys that we might have talked about, might have done deep dives on. I know that if Jordan were with us today, he, w- oh God, phrasing there, we're, we're not mourning Jordan. He's just not here this week. Uh, Jordan would have spoken about Trevor Larnock today of the Minnesota Twins. Now, the return of Alex Kirilov and the solid debut of Jose Miranda kind of muddies the waters here a little bit. But don't sleep on Larnack, who in 44 plate appearances over the last two weeks, he's hit 375. He's listed as a strong side platoon bat, according to roster resource, but he's carved out playing time against lefties carved out playing time against righties and he's hit as high as fourth in the order the k rate is a concern it always has been with him but larnock was already a known quality quantity there like he'll continue to hold down a corner outfield spot hopefully um you know unless maybe jose miranda absolutely continues to rake i kind of feel bad that this is the week that jordan missed because you know who's due back soon who's who's on a rehab assignment as we speak it's lamont wade jr late night lamont if jordan was here this is where he would be screaming uh i'm sorry i'm I'm wrong lamont wade jr is done with his rehab assignment and he's back he had his first game back today and uh he let off so lamont wade jr is back the san francisco giants clearly still trust him hitting him lead off so uh yeah, pick him up if you're in a deep league. That's that's really it. If you're in like a 15 teamer or, you know, just five outfield, corner infield, middle infield kind of league, Lamont Way Jr. should probably be rostered. Uh because Jordan will be mad at you personally, yes you, if you do not pick up Lamont Way Jr. Uh so frequent uh butt of jokes, Edward Olivares might actually be becoming a thing, finally. Olivares has started six of the last seven games for the Royals, hasn't been sent back to the minors after each one of them, and led off for four of those games. It seems like they finally decided to start jerking him around, and he, if so, he's got some nice power speed potential there. A couple of catchers that are interesting to me right now. 
catcher is a complete cesspool right now. Uh, I, I wish I had the tweet handy. It was from a Max Freeze stats. He kind of tweeted about like the landscape of the uh, league's catcher stats as a whole. And it's just, it's a pit. It's awful. Catchers are not hitting right now. If you have a catcher in your lineup who is hitting, consider yourself lucky because it's really, the, the position as a whole is very bad right now. But Francisco Mejia of the Tampa Bay Rays is back. He's healthy again. He was hitting very well before he got hurt with a 300 plus batting average. And I mean, this, this was one of those things where the Rays traded for somebody who used to be a top prospect and everyone went, oh, now he's going to succeed because he's a Ray. So, you know, if you're, if you're a believer in that the Rays can fix anybody, Mejia was a prime candidate, a nice switch hitting catcher. Max Stasi of the uh, Los Angeles Angels and a favorite of mine. Uh, he was a preseason call out of mine. And I actually have a, uh, I have a board bet for Max Stasi against Jordan. I am very hopeful that Stasi can continue his, uh, his strong start and uh, continue hitting in a prime lineup spot for the Angels. So far this season, pulling up some stats, he's hitting a bit lower in the order than I would have expected. I think that's partially because of the breakouts that have happened in Los Angeles. Like, at the start of the season, we really had no way of knowing that kind of both Brandon Marsh and uh, Taylor... uh, God, not Tyler Wade, Taylor Ward... I am constantly mixing up Taylor Ward and Tyler Wade, like literally all the time. It's horrible. I can't stop. But we really, uh, at the start of the season, we didn't know that both Taylor Ward and Brandon Marsh would kind of break out. So Max Stasi is hitting a couple of spots later in the order than I would have expected. Uh, a few weeks ago, he was hitting fourth and fifth, and now he's down to like seventh and eighth. I'm still interested in him. Uh, it just makes it a lengthier lineup a deeper lineup so in theory that's more chances for Stasi to uh have strong hitters around him uh as far as uh, a couple of pitchers a couple of pitchers that I'm particularly interested in this this week Michael Lorenzen gets a really nice Washington Oakland lineup coming up I I like I like Lorenzen a lot because of his uh varied repertoire the strikeouts aren't what I thought they would be, but Lorenzen has succeeded so far. He's put up an ERA around three, and Washington and Oakland are some of the worst lineups in baseball. So I, I don't think it really gets better as a uh, as a streamer. The strikeout potential isn't really there, but this is potentially two quality starts on the schedule, especially after he went eight innings plus in his last start. Uh, Austin Gomber. <laughs> very notorious in the fantasy community notorious to the point that uh there's a uh there's a phrase uh getting gombered and uh, uh the the short way the short story there is uh basically getting baited into starting somebody who is about to get blown up i think gomber is better than that i don't really i think he's a better pitcher than uh he, he doesn't deserve to have a meme made out of his name because he actually is a, a quality streamer sometimes, I think. And he gets, a, he gets a couple of games at San Francisco and then home against Kansas City. 
I think I would start him for that home game. He's a little bit like Herman Marquez in that homer away, it doesn't really matter. He's kind of a cherry bomb, which uh, in, in pitcherless parlance means he could blow up at any time. He could have a good start at any time. I, I kind of like him. I, I have him in my NL only league. I picked him up in my NL only league. And I'm, God, I, I can't believe I'm going to do this, but I'm probably going to start him for that San Francisco game because a couple of, uh, a couple of San Francisco's righty mashers uh, are, are hurt still. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Sorry, lefty mashers, the, the right hand hitting lefty mashers are, are out still. So, you know, pray for me, I guess. I mentioned earlier that we had a lot of rainouts on Friday, uh, yesterday, if you're listening to this. Six whole games got rained out, meaning that 12 teams are going to have their rotations shuffled or pushed back or just messed up in general. A team that I'm keeping an eye on right now as far as streamers for the upcoming week is the Texas Rangers. And specifically i'm curious who is going to avoid the yankees who they are playing this weekend and who will get to face the juicy streaming matchup of the kansas city royals later in the week if either dunning or glenn otto get a chance to face kansas city that is a stream that i'm very willing to take a chance on dane dunning in particular has done some pretty interesting things this year and I personally have him on my AL only league. I added him when someone went on. Oh, when when Matt Brash went to the uh, minors, I picked up Dunning as his replacement. So I'm I'm invested in Dunning. I think uh, with his repertoire, there could be a little bit of a mini breakout there. I don't think the upside is too too high, but he he's interesting. And uh, the last guy that I want to talk about had a great great start today. Uh, Josh Winder. There's some future uncertainty here because Sonny Gray is going to be coming back any day now, any turn through the rotation now, and we are not sure if Winder is going to get any further starts, but he crushed Oakland today. I know that's not saying a lot, but he's had an audition in the rotation and has passed it in flying colors. You know, he he couldn't have had a better start today against Oakland, so man, well, well, I, I don't think, you know, this isn't a guy with ace upside. But this could be like a strong streamer, maybe a a, a high-end Toby type. But yeah, uh, if he gets any further starts, uh, you know, if he starts, it, it looks like he'll probably get the series after Houston. Man, I don't have the schedule in front of me. I'm going to pull that up real quick, though. Sorry, you'll have to excuse me. I am underprepared. I am a professional. So Winder, after the uh, after the Houston series, may get Cleveland, and if he does get Cleveland, I'm interested because I Cleveland is decent. They're good. They have some really interesting parts in the lineup, but they are not what they showed in the first couple of weeks of the season, where they were like you know a world beating offense. That's not them. They're not that good. So I think they're a pretty decent streaming target. You know, maybe like a mid-tier streaming target. So yeah, I'm I'm interested if uh if Winder gets them again. That's definitely a stream that I would run out there. Uh Jalen Beeks looks to be 
one of this year's really strong multi-inning reliever, maybe win vulture candidates. I really like him. Uh, if you missed out on like, I don't know if you missed out on Michael King, uh, Jalen Beeks is a nice alternative there. And a guy that I, a guy that I want to like plant my flag on AJ Puck. You might remember him as the, you know, Uber prospect giant lefty pitcher from Oakland, along with a uh, Jesus Lazardo. They were kind of like the twin lefty mega prospects there. AJ Puck could not stop getting hurt. And now he's a reliever. And we've all heard this story where, you know, starter can't, yeah, a, a starter can't hack it, goes to the bullpen and becomes an elite reliever. I really like AJ Puck as a holds guy in the, in the, you know, short term. And I think he should be long term a candidate for saves there in a high leverage role. So that this is just me kind of planting my flag early. I, I know I've said it earlier in the season, maybe not on the podcast, but I do think Puck eventually winds up with that closer role. Or, you know, maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. So in the last week or so, even just the last couple of days, there have been four pretty major rookie call-ups, and all of them qualify for the under 20% in the deep threshold. Jose Miranda and Royce Lewis with Minnesota. Royce Lewis might not last because Carlos Correa's x-rays came back negative. He does not have a broken finger, but he will be out for a few days. But uh, Royce Lewis had a had a hit in his major league debut. He's had a bumpy road getting here, but Lewis was a major major prospect before he couldn't stop getting hurt. So uh, he might be worth a pickup for a middle infield spot in a deep in a particularly deep league. I'm more interested in Jose Miranda. Jose Miranda hit an absolute tank today into the second deck in left field, and it was a you know it was an impressive looking home run. It was one of those things where it's like, yeah, yeah, this is what I was expecting. It was, it was Jose Miranda came up, hit a dong as advertised. Love it. Uh, he's probably my favorite target out of this group. Uh, the other guys who came up were Juan Yepes and Jaron Duran. I, I, I just don't expect either of these guys to be up for that long unless they really force the issue. And I don't think I see either of them really forcing the issue, sadly. Uh, I was on the record as a big Juan Yepes guy before the season, but that was before the Cardinals got uh, Albert Pujols and made their team way more crowded. Jaron Duran, I like. Uh, He hasn't... What I've seen of him in the majors so far has not matched like the prospect pedigree strikes out way too much, isn't nearly as dynamic of a player as I thought he would be. Uh, and I don't know. He hit a triple today, which is, which is cool. He had a very hard hit triple. I just don't really expect him to kind of be up long-term, and I don't really expect him to be good long-term anymore, which is sad because I wanted him to be a thing pretty badly last year. Um... I think that is a, I think that's all I've got. Uh, I'd like to apologize. I'm sorry that I uh, subjected you guys to a, a half hour of only me speaking. Uh, as we all know, Jordan is the, the real talent here. He's the one that makes me sound good. 
but we did it. We made it through uh, a, a bite-sized episode of In the Deep. Uh, as always, you can reach out to us on any of our Twitter accounts. Uh, I am at Schwebzy. Jordan is at Bunt Singles. And our shared account is In the Deep PL. Like I said, uh, you know, let, let me know how I did because I, I would love to get my first ever piece of hate mail for this. But uh, yeah, until, uh, until next week when hopefully we have Jordan back. Bye, friends.